Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 426 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Wednesday, June 8th, 2022. We have a couple of special things to do with you today. One, we have to talk about Duke's recent hiring of Rachel Baker to be the general manager for Duke Basketball. We also are going to welcome back again to the program, Duke alumnus, class of 1986, former assistant coach for the Duke men's basketball team and current ESPN college basketball analyst, Jay Billis, the Billistrator, is going to be joining us to talk about NBA draft prospects as we have had him on in, in previous seasons. But before we get to all of the news and analysis, I am your host for this episode. I am Sam Klein coming to you from Boston. I am joined as always by Jason Evans and Donald Wine. Jason, sir, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, we got an interesting piece of news in our household late last night. My son tested positive for COVID, so we're all under lockdown right now. Oh, bummer. I noticed that you were sitting in a what appeared to be a different room, so everybody's everybody's in a everybody's in a different position today. Yeah, we're kind of we're trying to stay as separate as we possibly can, do the right thing and be as careful as possible. So far, he doesn't have any he, you know, feels a little stuffy and stuff, but I don't think it's going to be much of anything because we're all vaxxed and boosted. If you're listening to this and you're not vaxxed and boosted, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Donald Wine is also here. He appears to be at home uh, like usual. Donald, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing fine. Uh, no illness is here. Uh, knock on wood, which is a good sign. Uh, about to do some more traveling, uh, but I, I, I just have to comment. Uh, you mentioned Jay Bills' long, illustrious set of nicknames, but you forgot the most important one, that he is a co-worshipper with myself at the altar of the Church of Jeezy. So we're going to ask him about that when we get him. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of our, our favorite topics to explore with Jay. All right. Before we get to the NBA draft, though, the bit of breaking news that we need to talk about yesterday, uh, I believe the the program announced this right around the same time that all the the college basketball writers were picking this up, but Duke announced that they are hiring Rachel Baker to be the general, the general manager of Duke basketball. This is a new position. And I'm just going to read very quickly from the press release that the Duke athletic department put out. So Duke men's basketball coach, John Shire has announced the addition of Rachel Baker to the program as general manager in this exclusive position. Baker will specialize in helping players enhance their personal and professional skill sets capitalize on strategic partnerships, including NIL opportunities, and work to support players in navigating the opportunities and challenges that come with being a student athlete at the highest level. Now, Rachel Baker, for those who are not familiar, and I imagine that most Duke basketball fans wouldn't necessarily recognize her on the street or her name prior to this announcement. Some of you diehards might. Rachel Baker has spent a number of years working at Nike as well as uh, working with various NBA and WNBA athletes on their branding and marketing initiatives. But she is a primarily a basketball branding person. So she's, as I said, she spent a long time at Nike, worked a lot on the EYBL circuit, the, the youth basketball league that is sponsored by Nike for, for high school athletes. So she is an expert in all things uh, basketball player branding, both on the men's and women's side. She's worked with Kevin Durant. She's worked with a number of other high-profile basketball folks uh, in the Nike universe. And of course, Duke is part of the Nike universe. The relationship between Duke and Nike goes back many decades. So she's not going to be involved in, in any sort of uh, on-court player development, 
coaching, scouting type of roles. It's all about sort of the off-court branding opportunities related to NIL. We've talked a lot on this program, and I'm sure if you read college basketball media elsewhere, that they're talking a lot about the opportunities available to players. So, Jason, I want to ask you first, what is your instant reaction to Rachel Baker's hiring by John Shire and the Duke program? If you did not already think that Duke basketball was a corporation, that it was run like a finely well-oiled business machine, I think this cements it somewhat to me. First of all, just the fact that Duke has hired a general manager, which is a, a typical business kind of title, um, uh, it says to me that, that Duke is operating like a, like a business. And, and, and by that, I mean, there are different, very specific responsibilities that, that these very, very capable, experienced people have within the corporation of Duke basketball. I, and by the way, I, I don't want any of this to sound cold or, uh, you know, unfeeling or, 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 or bad. I think it's a really good thing that Duke is operating its basketball program like a business because it is big, big business. And that's not just for the university, for, for all the quote unquote employees of Duke basketball. It is very big business. And, and that, of, of course, I'm including the players. So I, I, I love that Duke is, is treating it in this very serious kind of fashion, that Duke is bringing people in, again, really experienced people with, with tremendous backgrounds in, in marketing to, to help the players navigate a brave new world. I mean, we do nothing on this podcast, it feels like sometimes, but talk about how much college basketball has changed in the past nine months, 12 months. 24 months at the most. Uh, it, it, is, it is striking how different the game is today from what it was a year or two ago. And for Duke to bring in someone who is really going to help the players and help the program navigate its way through the challenging, but also full of opportunities world of, of marketing, of name, image, and likeness, and all the other things that have changed within the sport it's a brilliant hire. And by the way, did you guys see the way basketball Twitter, college basketball Twitter was reacting to this hire? There, you cannot find anyone, you know, other than a Duke hater who doesn't know anything. You cannot find someone who understands the game and the sport who doesn't say absolute home run hire. Rachel Baker is brilliant. She, she has all the right experiences and this is yet it, it, like we've talked about this in the year since it's been almost exactly one year now since John Shire was, I think it's like a year and a day or a year and two days, something like that. Since John hire John Shire was hired as Duke's next basketball coach. There is not a single thing he has done that you haven't gone. That is the perfect move in recruiting, in designing his staff and now designing the support staff around the basketball program. And this is, yet another perfect move by him, I think. Jason, the thing that struck me about this news, and, and I saw it repeated on the DBR forums as well, is that it sounds like in hiring Rachel Baker, Duke is basically giving an agent to the players inside the program. And I can't tell you how many times I think I've said on this program that one of the natural conclusions to the whole NIL system coming into place is that the schools are going to be able to take advantage of this best 
if they're able to facilitate the sponsorship deals for the players and they're able to help the players manage their image and, and things like that. And by the way, most of the people involved in college basketball programs are not professionals at that, right? Uh, Duke has, has David Bradley, who's very good at creating content for, for the Duke men's basketball program, the cool videos, the images, uh, all the social media stuff. All of that is great. Duke has great coaching. They know how to, how to, how to recruit and, and get guys to, to play their best. But there is an element of that that they don't have prior to this hire. And so I love that, that, they, that they were out front about this is exactly what we're doing with this. We're not trying to coat this in, oh, we have a, some kind of like dress, director of basketball operations or, or some role that would, that would mask what she's really doing. I think it's super cool that, that Duke is out ahead of this. And it shows, like you were saying, again, that, that they're running this thing like the business that it is. Um, and, and all the, all the feedback has been positive. Donald, uh, your thoughts on, on Rachel Baker, and maybe, you know, if you've, if you've read a little bit about her, uh, any thoughts on, on her specifically for this role, uh, you know, in addition to Duke's, uh, pursuit of anyone to be in a position like this. Yeah. It, and I didn't know anything about Rachel Baker until, you know, yesterday when this hire was announced, but man, she has a lot of experience in just basically taking kids and giving them the opportunities to be successful, right? Like Nike, that partnership obviously is being further solidified with this. She worked at Nike for eight years. She has the NBA experience working in the you know league offices for a year. And now she brings that experience to Duke and, and just the structure of this, right? Like this is not to say that Duke was in the stone ages because by no means were we, but I feel like we've entered the Jetsons era of Duke basketball. We've John Shire is setting up this structure for Duke 3.0, 4.0, 5.0 and 6.0. Like this is going to be a, a position that's going to be able to adapt as college basketball adapts. And I think being able to take some of the pressures of being a student athlete off of the student athlete is what Duke is going for here. And Rachel Baker connects well with students. She connects, she's connected well on the uh, AAU circuit, the EYBL circuit. Sam, as you mentioned, and I think that is the best part of this is that now more and more players just want to focus on the basketball. They don't know all the business intricacies. They don't know or want to deal with all of the, you know, all of the, the scrutiny and, and, the, and just the business sense that comes with being an 18 year old athlete slash student at a college university or a university. So Duke has taken that off of their plate. It makes it where they can relax and focus and know that someone has their best interest in mind when they have all these pieces of paper coming in the mail and have all these people knocking at their door, they have someone to talk to about that. And I think Rachel's best equipped to do that from the experience that I've seen uh, just by reading up on her the last day or so, but uh, it's incredible. It's an incredible hire for Duke. It's an incredible hire for college basketball. I know some programs have general managers that are similar, but nothing quite like what Duke is trying to cut out for this role for Rachel Baker. And I think she's going to be very, very successful at doing that. You know, Sam, I'll add one more thing. And, and I almost hate to bring it up. And feel free to tell me if you think it's not important. But Duke just hired into a really, really senior program, senior position within their program, an African-American woman. And I, I think that kind of representation does matter in this day and age. Uh, I don't want to get into it too much, but there there are some people out there who have been critical of the fact that um, 
uh, you know, immediately after Mike Krzyzewski stepped down, that Duke immediately turned to a white male to continue to run their basketball program. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to get into, you know, Tommy Amaker and John Shire or any of that stuff. We've discussed that many times in this podcast. And look, I was I was on here just a couple of minutes ago telling you how John Shire has done every single thing right since he has taken over the reins of Duke basketball. But I do think it is it matters that that for this very, very important position that John Shire went out and found a person of color and a woman, because both of those things matter in in our modern world and having representation matters a, a lot. And I'm glad that, and by the way, she's not in this job because of representation and checking what boxes. She is incredibly qualified for this position and everyone says she is absolutely brilliant. But but I, I do want us to note it and want us to note that it is important that, uh, that, that Duke accomplishes something like that with their basketball program to, to, to speak to the fact that they are aware that representation does matter. Yeah, and it's something that, you know, Duke has really, you know, taken center for in the last couple of years with the hiring of Nina King as the athletic director. You have Carol Lawson on the women's basketball side. Like, it, it matters. Yes, it definitely matters. And But the other thing is, it's not that, Jason, like you said, they're not just going out and finding someone saying, yep, that's it. They're getting the best person possible, and that person happens to be a, a Black woman or, you know, just that representation of knowing that you can be anything. And honestly, this is even more of a, of a, you know, great thing because this wasn't a role until yesterday. They created a role for this, for Rachel Baker to come in and excel at what she does best. And I think that is great because I think, again, Duke is thinking outside the box and saying, how do we get the best minds in here? How do we get the most creative talent in here? And if we don't have a role for them, make one for them so that they can excel. That's what, that's what opportunity is about. Is making it where you say, hey, this person's great. They need to be here. Do whatever we need to do to get them here, even if it means creating a role where they can be themselves. That's, that's what we hope Rachel Baker is going to do. I agree with you guys about the importance of, of representation and, and Duke's ability to bring in talent no matter where from. And I'll reemphasize a point that we've talked about specifically around the Jay Lucas hiring, which is that John Shire is not shy about finding someone that's not directly in the Duke network. Rachel Baker's biggest connection to Duke is that she worked at Nike. And if you're hiring a marketing person to do, you know, sports deals for athletes, uh, it's very likely that that person has some affiliation with Nike at some point in their career, just because they've been, you know, top dog in, in that space for such a long time. But otherwise, Rachel Baker doesn't really have any direct Duke connections. And that didn't prevent uh, Duke from, from hiring her. It didn't, ensure that like Duke was going to go find somebody else, someone who went to Duke or, or, you know, worked for the program before in some capacity. So I, I love that John Shire continues to, to open up the, the hiring pool, not just, you know, in terms of representation, but in terms of people outside the Duke orbit, because to your point, Donald, it's about bringing in the best and John Shire wants to have the best on his staff. And, and the last thing about what Rachel Baker is going to be uh, doing at Duke, and I'm sure she's going to have a lot of different responsibilities. But th the fact that they specifically called out that she's going to be involved in marketing and name, image, and likeness, I think that it is important that Duke, as they speak to potential transfers, as they speak to recruits, as they speak to current players, that they're able to say, 
we have a plan for how you are going to be able to take advantage and um, capitalize off of the many name, image, and likeness opportunities that are out there for you. And we have people who can help you to organize that plan and those opportunities and who can advise you about them. Uh, to me, that's the most important part about this. Uh, every time John Shire walks into someone's room to, to suggest to them that Duke might be an interesting place for them to play college basketball, I guarantee the conversation about name, image, and likeness happens. And for them to be able to say, we have someone specific on staff who has worked with the NBA, who has worked with Nike, and who is an absolute marketing expert who's going to help you navigate this. It's it just super, it's something that didn't matter a year, a year and a half ago that is perhaps, you know, maybe the most important thing today. All right. Well, we wish Rachel Baker the best of luck in her new role at Duke. We are going to take a quick break. On the other side, Jay Billis is back with us. We're going to have him for a series of episodes to break down Duke's draft prospects for the upcoming NBA draft. Duke, of course, has five alumni now who will be in the draft in just a few weeks. So after the break, Jay is going to kick off this series with us and discuss Paulo Bancaro. Stick around. And as Sam mentioned, we are here with the man of the hour, the friend of the podcast, my fellow co-worshipper at the Church of Jeezy. Jay Bills is here with us to talk Duke basketball and really Duke basketball as it pertains to the NBA draft. So, Jay, again, welcome back to the podcast. We are glad to have you. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So we're going to do this and we're going to start with uh, the guy who we expect to go first amongst the Duke players in the NBA draft, and that's Paul Bancaro. And when you talk about Paulo, we, we've been talking all year that he is one of the top picks in the NBA draft. So for you, what makes him stand out with NBA teams as the cream of the crop of this NBA class? Yeah, Paulo will probably be taken third overall is my best estimation. Uh, I, I, I think he's regarded just behind Chet Holmgren and Jabari Smith. Uh, those two, it seems, are going to go one, two. Uh, the order still of one, two is a little bit up in the air. More people seem to value Holmgren at one, but Orlando seems to value Smith pretty highly uh, at one, two. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. But Paolo, as you can imagine, the, the thing that is most coveted about him is the combination of his size, uh, his powerful athleticism, and his skill level. Uh, he's got great footwork. Uh, his spin move is fantastic. I mean, he gets, he does it quickly and he does it with power. So it's really hard for defenders to keep him from uh, getting around or, or through them. And he can elevate quickly. Uh, his second jump is really powerful. You, you just don't see that very often. Uh, he's 6'10", he's close to 260, and he's very well put together. Uh, he, he, I think this last year he shot about 33, 34% from three. I think he is a good shooter that can get significantly better. And we've seen that over the years with, with prospects when they get to the NBA and spend more time on it. And I think he's one of those players that will improve in, in that area. The, the criticisms that he gets, the constructive criticisms, is he can be better defensively, that he does have some, some concentration lapses throughout the course of a game. And he's not seen as a player who – 
uh, is right now, a, you would call a two-way player, but uh, I think he's capable in, in that area. And that's, that's one of the areas where I think, um, you know, factoring in age, you know, the, the, he's not, these guys are not mature finished products yet. And it's still for a guy of my generation, you know, when, when, you know, my era were coming out of college, they were juniors and seniors. And so when Tim Duncan came out of Wake Forest, he was considered a rookie that had a long way to go. <laughs> and now he'd be considered an old man that uh, we know who he is kind of thing. Um, but these guys have even, and Paolo among them, ha have even more room for, for growth. And so projecting what they're going to be uh, is perhaps more important than focusing on you know, maybe a perceived flaw that they have. And on the defensive end, that's an area where he can make a, a huge jump. So I want to talk about, you, you mentioned Chet Holmgren and Jabari Smith, the two guys he's been linked with in the top three. Uh, and you mentioned a little bit about what, you know, kind of all of them can do, but what do you think is one quality trait? If you're, if you're looking at these three players, what's one trait that you think Paulo has that the other two don't, that kind of stands out about, you know, if someone's like, Hey, I want I want Paulo as number one. Why would that trait kind of be something that the others don't have? Explosive power. Uh, Holmgren does not have that. Smith, I think, can can have that. He's just not as powerful as uh, as Paulo is, uh, at least right now. Um, I, I happen to like Smith the best, but that's just me. And I do, you know, I people say I had the beholder, things like that. Um, I, and this is probably a little bit on me. Um, I'm, I still have to get over some of my old school thinking that's still in this Neanderthal brain of mine and Holmgren's body bothers me, but he's, he's able to keep offensive players from getting into his body where maybe 10, 20 years ago, that would be a problem with the way the game is played now, uh, or the way the game was played then. It's different now. He's not a five man at seven feet. He's not a five man. He's more of a three man. And so he's going to be a perimeter perimeter player. And, uh, and it, you know, if you talk to people from USA basketball, they'll tell you that, that Holmgren, even at Gonzaga didn't show all that he has. And uh, so he's, you know, everybody say uses, uses the word intriguing. He's intriguing. Uh, because they, and that's a, I think that's a fancy way of saying, I I'm still not sure. I, I, I don't know. I really like some, but I'm not sure. Uh, when you're intrigued, you're not sure. Um, when you're sure you don't use the word intrigued, or at least I don't. So, it, it, but you know, I, I, when you look back at, I, I spent a lot of time looking back at past drafts and mis, you know, sort of mistakes you made and, or everybody makes. And when you look back, when Jason Tatum came out, I think he was taken number three. And you look back on that draft, go, he should have been taken number one. Uh, now, is that a big spread? Is that a big delta? No. But, um, uh, you know, it's that kind of thing where there is a little bit of groupthink that goes along with this. And the consensus is it's, it's Holmgren and Smith for one. But Paolo's got the, uh, the skill set, the, the size, the explosiveness, the, the ability to come out of this draft and we look back in five, 10 years and say, how, how could he not have been taken number one? That, that's, that's a, that's still a, a possibility. And there are guys further down in this draft that we're going to go, how were they taken so low? So you talked about that a little bit. Let's get to the defense part. Cause you said that's really the main 
deficiency that he has, or at least the thing that he can improve on the most. In the NBA, I, I feel like he's going to be asked with his frame and just also with his versatility, he's going to be asked to guard, you know, guys at the three, four, or five spot. What's the one thing that you think that he can improve on quickly that can elevate his defensive game from where it is to what it needs to be in the NBA? I think that's a good question. I think first and foremost, it has to be a, a priority. And I, I think for people who have evaluated Paolo closely, they might, they might say and, and do say it's not a priority for him. It's not a Draymond Green type. He looks to dominate on the defensive end. Um, and, and again, we're, there are things in that where you're kind of nitpicking in a way uh, because we're, we're talking about a guy that in Paolo Banquero that is going to be a, a, an outstanding player in the NBA for a long time. And, but, you know, when you're talking about a top pick uh, and going that high, you know, you, you, you do nitpick to say, is this, can he be this? Can he be that? And his ceiling is really high. Um, his floor is high too. And that's a really good thing that when you go, okay, he's not going to drop down, you know, his game is not going to drop down. It's not, he's not going to fail in any of these things. Um, but, but how great can he be? Cause that's what you're looking for in, in a top five pick is great. And, and not using the word kind of like we do all the time, like this guy's a great player, but we throw it around, but really, really using the word as it should be that it's a separating word that, that this guy can be great. And, and I, I still think he can be great. I think when it comes to Paulo, like when he entered Duke, he already had kind of a name and a reputation for himself, not just in with, amongst college players, but amongst the you know NBA players and just some of the the circuits that he was playing with NBA players and and the reports coming out that he was holding his own, if not excelling on those basketball courts. What do you think? And this is a hard question for me, so I, I apologize. But what do you think is the part of his game that he improved the most at Duke? Because I think he entered as quote unquote, one of the more polished in, uh, college basketball players. And he leaves as one of the most college, polished college basketball players. But where do you think he improved the most? I think he improved the most in uh, being a surrendering to being a power player instead of a finesse player that I think when he got to Duke uh, coach K and the Duke staff really worked with him on uh, you know, using his power as opposed to, using his, you know, relying solely upon his skill. And, uh, and I think he really improved in that area. Like you, you look at his numbers, like he's a good passer. He averaged like three and a half assists a game. Uh, he's a, you know, people use the word, he's a willing passer. He's not a selfish player, uh, but he averaged, you know, he scored over 20 in all the big games, average 17 or 18 a game. You know, he rebounded at a high level, especially on the defensive end. Uh, you know, it, Again, we're like we're talking about really high level stuff. And so the, the issue when we talk about defense is going from good to great. And offensively, he's got he's got a, a full bag of tricks. Um, can he improve as a as a perimeter shooter to become more efficient? Yes. Uh, I think he can be a much better shooter than he is now. Um, but, you know, it, it, there's there's not a lot to complain about with, with Bancaro. It's not like you're, you're looking at him going, well, I don't know. He's going to be outstanding. And, uh, the, just the question is if you're at one or two, do you take him over Holmgren or Smith? 
that that's the question. I mean, I, it, early on, he was considered when he came out of high school, he's considered a number one pick that that now seems to be out of the out of the equation that the one pick is going to be Holmgren or Smith. Uh, but, you know, where you get drafted and what you accomplish after you get drafted are two different things. And uh, and again, like I, I don't know that there is a group think, um, you know, you can have a group think um, sort of in the whole, but it doesn't mean that Orlando's involved in that, um, that their group think. Um, and it doesn't mean the second pick group thing, you know, it, 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 there are individual situations that differ from the, the whole. So you mentioned that you think Paula Bancaro is going to go number three to the Houston Rockets. Uh, you have the Orlando magic and number one or OKC thunder at number two. I know you said you think he's going to go three. Do you agree with that? Do you think that's the best place for him? Or do you think, uh, that that's where he, that do you agree that he's the third best player in this draft? Yeah, I, I would say the third best prospect. Yes. Um, I, I happen to agree with that. Um, and again, like it's the, it's sort of the, the thought process with Holmgren. Can you get over the body? And, uh, uh, cause he looks like a stick figure out there, but he's tough, man. He, he is not what, what, you know, in past, you know, past decades, you might think, I don't, I don't know about that body. Cause I mean, I talk, I've, I've talked with a, you know, casually on airplanes and, and different places with uh, with a lot of former NBA players. You know, I, I wind up seeing a lot of guys on the road and, uh, you know, guys that played in the 90s will say eh, that body's not going to work in the NBA. And, you know, look, I, I happen to believe that that thought process, um, it's hard. It's really hard to get out of uh, at times, get out of, you know, kind of the past years thinking. And uh, I, I struggle with that at times and have to remind myself that the game's different than it was in the 90s. Um, so it, it is it is a mental hurdle. Uh, but I think most of the NBA that are decision makers now are, are over that. Um, that. That's just an issue for, for a schlep like me that, that I still have to remind myself like, hey, this is not the 90s anymore. Uh, the game has changed. So Houston Rocket fans, you should, uh, you know, rest assured, Jay's got you at number three and, and got you getting Paulo Bancaro. But uh, as we close out the Paulo Bancaro segment, again, we, we are co-worshippers of the Church of Jeezy. As, as people don't know, we're recording early in the morning. we got to get people to work, man. Give me a Jeezy quote for the people. Summer's mine, winter too, popping bottles in the club. That's what winners do. I got to go to work. Go to work, Jay. Go to work. So thanks again to Jay Billis for joining us to talk Paulo Bancaro. Of course, he will be back to talk uh, about all the rest of Duke's NBA draft prospects here in the coming weeks. But guys, let's dive in for a couple minutes on Jay's comments about Paulo Bancaro. I think mostly positive, right? We know that Paulo is, is almost certainly going to be one of the top three picks in this draft unless something goes uh, really differently from, from the way that the prognosticators expect. And the, the major deficiency, we think, for Bancaro uh, that Jay highlighted was the lapses on defense and, and the development that he still has left in that area. Donald, what did you think about Jay's comments about Paulo? Yeah, well, I agree with him in, in that assessment of his defense and obviously is something that can get better, but also can get better very quickly. Because I think in the NBA, if you can play 
great defense, you're going to be kept on the floor and, and his offense is going to, you know, be able to shine. If you remember when you're comparing him to Jabari Smith and Chet Holmgren, he, I, in my mind, and of course I could be looking at this through Duke colored eyes, but I don't care. He was the best of those three all season long. He was one of the best freshmen in the country. I believe he led all freshmen in scoring this year uh, throughout the, throughout the season. And there were so many times where he was just a dominant player to the point where, again, you'd have NBA players saying, oof, I need him on my team next year. And so I think him falling to Houston is going to be uh, a very good beacon. I know my best friend is a Houston Rockers fan. Uh, I know he's excited about that prospect, but you can't really go wrong with this. I think the explosiveness is what I look for in an NBA athlete. That is what translates the best to the next level and he can figure the rest of it out. I think his shooting will improve. I think his defense will improve. And we're looking at a guy who I think can be a perennial all-star, one of the you know top players in the NBA uh, you know, in the next five, six years. So, uh, I mean, Paulo, his, his, the sky's the limit for him, and I think he's in the right place. And hopefully the situation in Houston, or, or if, even if it's OKC or Orlando, if there's some sort of surprise between now and the draft, they're getting a, a dynamite player. And I can't wait to see him on the next level. You know, I think that because Paulo is so smooth and skilled that people discount his athleticism and, and, and that they, they don't recognize how athletic he is. I mean, Jay talked about his second jump. Um, look, he, he's no Marvin Bagley, Mr. Second Jump. But, but Paulo, Paulo sometimes, you know, he'll get up there fast. And, and, it's, and it's surprising to you. And he also had... You know, this is not a guy who's earthbound. <laughs> he gets up there and he he does some really athletic things in the air. Uh, guys, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of put the question to you guys. We love to do this sometimes, you know, over, under, does he go before or after that kind of thing? And, I, I, you know, I think that like two and a half is where we should put the over, under on Paulo. Does he go, you know, before in the top two picks or does he go after pick number two? I, I, I'll go ahead and say it. First of all, I, I agree. I think that he probably is going to go third. I think everyone's sort of fallen in love with, with the quote unquote potential of Chet Holmgren and Jabari Smith. I think that's, I think it's a mistake. So I think he goes third. I think that's a mistake. I think it's a big mistake. I think that Paulo has shown just so much skill that to, and, and athleticism that, that to me, I don't know how he doesn't continue to get better. I, I think he's going th- to, I bet he wins rookie of the year, by the way, because he's more ready for the NBA than anyone else out there. And, and I think he's going to continue to get better year after year. I, I, I think it's a mistake, but I think he's going third. I, I think, I think you're right. I think he's going to go third. And I think it's for the reason uh, that potential and intrigue and upside are the three buzzwords of the NBA draft always. And those will always win out over NBA ready. Um, and, and almost always went out over NBA ready. And since that's just, it's you know, just foolish. I mean, don't, don't you agree? I think it's, fo- I, I get it sometimes the potential thing, but this is a guy, he's still really young. This is a guy who has tremendous athleticism. I think he's just going to learn more and more ways to beat you. I, I could, and I, he's been more ready, right? Like, and, yeah. and as we've talked about throughout the year, he rarely made the same mistake twice. Like he was very, he was always learning, always saying, okay, kind of digesting, filing away. Like, Hey, I did this wrong. Next time I'll do it a different way and be successful. 
but we've talked about him since he was a junior in high school about he was dominating, you know, su- summer leagues that had NBA players in it. And I think, I honestly think the quietest people over the next couple of weeks should be the Houston Rockets. They should say absolutely nothing because they're just going to let Paula Bancaro fall to them. And then, you know, that draft card is going to go in pretty quickly and they're going to have themselves a winner. Yeah, that, that was the only thought that I had about it is that they have the easiest time in this draft because he's going to fall to them. And then they're going to be like, there's just no question we're taking this guy. He's, he's such a solid foundation. He, he very possibly is a, is a starter from day one and is, a, and is a productive player right from the jump. And you don't even really have to worry about much of the transition. You can teach him to, to you know, play better defense and, and, and to lock in harder. And his teammate, he, he responds to feedback from his teammates, I think better than, than most guys his age. So being on an NBA team with a lot of experienced guys, I think is going to do wonders for his game. So guys, we'll leave it there on Paulo Bancaro. We will be back, as we mentioned, uh, very soon to talk AJ Griffin and the rest of the uh, Duke draft prospects. We also have uh, some fun listener mail to get to. So for Jason Evans and for Donald Wine, I am Sam Klein. This has been episode 426 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Stay in touch with us with all of your questions, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We will talk to you again very soon. Duke Band, take us off.